You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. The new ACE guidelines for treating type 2 diabetes is a radical shift in the way type 2 diabetes is treated. Joining us to discuss the new ACE guidelines in treating type 2 diabetes is endocrinologist and president-elect of the National American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, Dr. Dan Einhorn. Dr. Einhorn, welcome to Reach MD. Oh, thank you, Steve. Uh, now, what are these new ACE guidelines about? And I'm, I'm curious of why uh, you like that title and intro of a radical shift. Well, you know, radical is always a relative term, but uh, up to this point in time, uh, the guidelines out there have reflected generally a couple of principles. Uh, one, to start with things which have been around for a long time, and two, to start with things that are inexpensive, uh, both of which are perfectly reasonable uh, ways to, uh, to uh, approach treatment, but uh, not the way uh, we in clinical endocrinology manage our own patients. Uh, we have different principles. We're looking for uh, safety, number one. We're looking for ease of use, number two. And we're looking for optimal outcomes, number three. And for that, there are some newer agents which have been around a long time and uh, with which there's a lot of experience that we felt had to be brought to the attention of uh, everyone to understand what we in endocrinology see as current best practices, recognizing that there are different reasons for different choices, that no algorithm will ever substitute for good clinical judgment and understanding the patient, understanding the clinical setting, um, but opening up options for treatment that right now have simply not been uh, popularized enough, at least to let everyone have insight into how endocrinologists treat type 2 diabetes. Now, Dan, um, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time, and I'm a member of both ACE and the American Diabetes Association, which, which also puts out treatment guidelines. And I'm always under the strong feeling that when we develop an algorithm to treat patients, we should put how we down how we would treat our family members. It's not our job to bring in politics and price to a major degree because we want to show practitioners how to best treat patients. Now, if someone doesn't have insurance, they only have access to, I'd say, older, really uh, generic and inexpensive drugs that may not be the best choice. Hey, that's a different story. So I kind of like the concept of giving people the real choices for the best effect, uh, lowest side effects, and uh, taking taking into account newer agents that may not have been on the market as long as a sulfonylurea, but certainly have been around to prove, you know, basic safety concerns. Yeah, and we are exactly on your wavelength on this. Again, you're someone who takes care of people with diabetes, and if you take care of people with diabetes, you're looking for things which are safe, effective, give the best outcomes, and you recognize that issues, like you said, if, if cost is an absolute driver, there's, there's simply no funds, to, to, to purchase medication. Well, then you're going to work with that. That's, that's fine. We'll work with that. Uh, but if the funds for acquiring the drug are not the issue, it's important to realize that the acquisition cost of the drug 
is only a small part of the overall cost of therapy. So what's the cost of a hypoglycemic event that requires 911 and emergency room? You know, it's thousands of dollars. What's the cost of a patient saying, oh, well, that drug made me sick, I'm losing the morning, and so they stop using the drug and they don't adhere to therapy? What's the cost of needing frequent glucose monitoring to be sure you don't get hypoglycemic? What's the cost of frequent doctor visits to make sure the therapy is going well? All of these are costs to the system, let alone the cost and quality of life. What's my cost if I have to be worried about my hypoglycemia at any time during my work or when I'm driving or I'm out with my children? So we try to factor in all of these things. And to us, in the end, it's really a kind of common sense. As you say, we're not about politics. We're not about, you know, we're not economists. What's the best that we could do for our families, for our friends, and for our patients? We want to treat everyone the same way. Let's get into a little bit of specifics. Um, just for background sake for our listeners, um, the American Diabetes Association algorithm really uh, once you fail metformin, puts you into into a couple big categories, which is adding a sulfonylurea, adding basal insulin, adding a GLP-1 agonist, and then adding pioglitazone. Not ROSI, not TZDs, but specifically pio. So that's kind of their general treatment algorithm. G- give us an idea how the ACE ones are different. First of all, um, we characterize people and stratify people by how sick they are when they hit the algorithm. So if you're a brand new person to diabetes with an average blood sugar that's not too high, here's a set of choices. Versus a brand new person with a very high average blood sugar, here's a set of choices. Versus an established person with diabetes, varying degrees of uh, abnormal glucose, here's your set of choices. Because um, where you start will determine where you end up. And so it recognizes that. It means that there are many situations where there is no one therapy that you start with. You start with two agents or more because you know that there is no single magic bullet in the treatment of type 2 diabetes. So that's number one. Uh, Number two, we always start with metformin. We think that metformin is appropriately the cornerstone of therapy. Long safety record. It's inexpensive. We know how to use it. You can't use it in everybody. We understand that also. Some people can't tolerate it. Some people have medical conditions like kidney problems where they can't take it. But the metformin does remain the cornerstone of therapy. But then to metformin, what we add are all the options that do not cause hypoglycemia, preferably, and then also hopefully do not cause weight gain. So these agents include, of course, the GLP-1s, which right now there's only one, but there will be many more. These are injectable agents that mimic some normal physiology and may have weight loss. Uh, we include the DPP-4s, which have a little less, well, not a little, have about half as much effect to lower glucose, but are very safe and easy to use. And, of course, we have the uh, TZDs, and we include, importantly, both pioglitazone and rosiglitazone as TZDs, because rosiglitazone, in our opinion, has been completely exonerated from some special risk category. So we, we include the TCDs. We even include some of the lesser-used agents just because they don't cause hypoglycemia, which is colocevalan and uh, nateglinide. You know, these are sort of orphan drugs in many ways. But the point is to use medicines that are the safest and can get you to goal. And safety means avoid hypoglycemia, avoid weight gain, 
and create a, a therapy that is easiest for the person to adhere to. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Daniel Einhorn. We are discussing the new ACE guidelines for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. If other folks were looking at this, what other criticisms would they say about the algorithm? I think the criticisms to be expected are that um, the, the algorithm relies on the newer drugs, and by being newer, even though there's millions of patients uh, you know, years associated with them, by being newer, they cannot be as known as uh, the older medications. That's by definition. And they're going to be more expensive to acquire. And so those will be the two main issues. We think that, that's, that those are both false criticisms for reasons already alluded to, that the acquisition cost is a small part of the total cost, and that we know plenty about these quote-unquote newer drugs. We certainly know enough to make them uh, safe to use. Well, what are going to be some of the difficult parts in implementing these new guidelines? As you know, it takes an unconscionably long time to affect the way people practice medicine. So we have no illusion that uh, the day after the publication there's going to be a revolution in how uh, diabetes is treated. But we want to be sure, uh, number one, those people who do recognize best practices for diabetes have a backup, have ACE to say, you know, look, I'm not the only guy, me in, you know, Southern Michigan, uh, ACE believes that my best practices are best practices. Hey, now, as president-elect of this huge organization, the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, what are your plans uh, for your term? Well, you know, there are, uh, there is the issue of survival in this uh, time of uh, extraordinary change. Uh, you know, ACE as an organization uh, has uh, you know, many constituents. It's anybody who has a disease of the endocrine system. But diabetes is the focus of ACE. That's mainly what we do. And so first, I want to make it rational to, uh, to, 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 to treat diabetes. I want to make it passionate, exciting, and worthwhile to treat diabetes. I'm shocked at reports around the country of practitioners, including endocrinologists, who no longer want to treat people with diabetes. They don't want to take the time. They don't want to take the risk. They don't want the hassle. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to restore the, the, the passion and, and the joy of, of helping people get and stay well. If I may say, we are committed to a rollout about 50 5.0 programs uh, for primary care physicians, for PAs, for nurse practitioners, um, for cardiologists. Uh, all around the United States. It's in conjunction with uh, regional ACE chapters. And uh, again, it's usually a Saturday morning. It's an opportunity to meet the local people who are the diabetes experts and maybe a national expert or two and to all sit together and maybe address the local problems. There may be a local um, insurer who has a certain point of view or which has a certain point of view that needs to be um, addressed together. It may have a certain population poorer or ethnic in a certain way that has special needs. So we're trying every way we can. There's more online resources. Well, there'll be a whole separate program on hypoglycemia and the concerns with hypoglycemia. So I look forward to ACE insinuating itself on the debate in every way possible from the governments, through state governments, through uh, guidelines, 
through reimbursement uh, opportunities for patients, um, and just through the basic grassroots education to get people as up to speed as possible. It's fun to do. You know, it's obvious that it's something worthwhile, and it's interesting. So I think you don't have to beat anybody over the head. If you give people the opportunity to learn and to see the possibilities, they'll grab it. I would like to thank our guest, Dr. Daniel Einhorn, endocrinologist and president-elect of the National American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists. Dr. Einhorn, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. And thank you so much for doing what you do, Steve. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Uh, Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.